This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Welcome to the first episode of season two of the Pull Up Trade podcast, the podcast wherein I, Samson Folk, am joined by my dear friend, my confidant, Trevon Heath. He pulls up. We talk basketball. It's a, it's a favorite around these parts. Trey, how the hell are you? Reunited and it feels so good. Um, I was thinking like uh, more of like the the white boy version. That's the boys are back in town. <laughs> yeah, that's what I. <laughs> okay. Um, sunglasses off time. I have to go All back right. to to glasses. Glasses. I dude, I am a new glasses wearer. It looks good. I well, I sat on them today. Dude, they bent like crazy. I had to bend them back. They're still. I don't know if people can tell, but they're a little bit off now. I'm new to glasses. I've only had them for like two months at this point, and I I almost just completely destroyed them. And I bought them in New Zealand because they're cheaper Ooh. over there. Because glasses Ooh. cost so goddamn much in Canada. But regardless, we're not here to talk about my glasses. But we are to see, look, and observe the the new ongoings in the Raptors uh, sphere. Not a great joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Trey. Raptors basketball. We haven't talked in a while, at least not for public consumption. Um, give me your sense after media day, your sense after the first preseason game. Catch me up on what Trey thinks of Raptors basketball lately. Okay. Quick quick summer of media day. The most depressing of any team in the <laughs> association. Like, it, it felt as though, and you did a fantastic job of asking the questions that everyone wanted to, to know. It felt as though... And I guess Masai also laid it out that they still don't know what they're doing. And the fact that they've had a lot of turnover, they, I guess, didn't pull the trigger, whether you listen to Bobby or Masai, we had conflicting statements on those, on Damian Lillard. It left everybody in a sense, you felt it from the media, felt it from the team and from uh, the fan, fan base in general, that there's a lot of tension and this season, because there's so many players who are unrestricted heading into the next season, there is no more evaluation time. They're, they literally do not have the time to do the same process they did further. So I'm hoping that is fleshed out ideally before the season ends. Did, did preseason make you feel any better? Training camp. The Pascal is smiling reports that came <laughs> I, I'm sure he would smile harder if he had got an extension. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the game itself was, was very fun. You saw, although I would say they were less successful in the half-court sets than, than you would like to, to see, you saw, the, you saw the motion, you saw the movement that they were attempting. 
I don't know how they're going to defy the fact that they can't shoot. But seeing Scotty in transition making plays and being empowered to get the ball a bit more was really cool. I don't know I don't know how successful Pascal playing off the ball a lot is going to lead to wins. And considering they don't have a pick, I I, I don't see how it's how it would make sense for him to not be optimized in the best way possible for him. But I'm 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 hopeful. Well it's I, I really wanted to know because this team is kind of built at least until the Pascal decision is made. And for now, that looks like that's coming in the summer. Um, this is the team you wanted for the most part. Like, if you, you, you ask me, hey, you let Fred go or you bring him back for $40 million a year, I say let Fred go. They made the right yeah. decision. You were like, you can let Fred go or you can pay him like $30 million. You're still probably saying like, see ya, pal. Pack your, you, you, I'll drive you to the airport in my nice car. And <laughs> so anyway, they're making decisions. You like Jalen McDaniels. You are pretty aware of his game. You talk about, you know, your second team is the Charlotte Hornets. They're yep. making a lot of moves on the margins that you're saying, hmm, I like it. Yes. When they started playing Darko Ball, let's call it, 0.5 basketball, the, the brainchild of what he's created, you know, what was your first response? Were you like, this is what I've been waiting for? Um, the defense isn't moving. <laughs> that was my general response. Um, with a lot of like the yak high post action, there there still just isn't the need for the defense to to go over the top and chase. And that's still, although he made a lot of good interior passes, I feel as though when we play a better defense and obviously in a more serious context, the defense is going to be okay with him shooting five or six floaters in a game and seeing how the results lay. I think similarly with, with Scotty, although he has like his pa- passing is more of a weapon. I, I feel as though they're either a going to have to s- start Gary or B they're going to need to get shooting in ways that they, from players that we haven't seen in seen in their career right now. Cause the minutes with Dennis and the starting lineup were, were tough. The defense wasn't, wasn't moving. They weren't able to get really good paint looks and you saw once they were able to like turn over the Kings, they got in transition and they were able to score a bit more. But the half-court offense, I don't think, has improved in a sense. But it is only one game. Yeah. the inter- So their points per possession in the half-court was 96 per 100 possessions. That was 1.5 higher than their regular season average last year. Um, scoring is typically higher in the preseason, especially in the half-court as well. We've seen guys, Delano Banton is doing it again this preseason, but we saw Delano kind of dominate in last year's preseason. And that speaks to the level of play typically we can expect in the games before, even at the start of the regular season, the the intensity and the, I guess, teams aren't running to their full capacity. But I guess we'll see. It, it should be interesting. As far as Schroeder versus Gary, I do wonder what that might look like. And especially when we look at, you know, trying to utilize Scotty as a hub. If yeah. Scotty is like, he doesn't, the way you, the way they talk about this team, you would think that Jakob has the keys to be, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. Because like anytime they ask about the offense or we, I guess I'm part of the media, we ask about the offense. He's like, well, Jakob Pertl is a pretty fantastic high post, you know, player. We're, we're interested to get more out of that. A man wonders how they're going to utilize these guys going forward because it did seem like they struggled in the half court to get yep. Pascal the ball in good spots, to get Scotty the ball in good spots, and to get OG the ball in good spots. Schroeder 
easy as pie to get him the ball and let him try to do something. Gary, piece of cake. OG hit his shots working off of other guys, but nothing really featured him. And, and Pascal and Scotty had a tough time navigating that space. Jakob, not really, because he never pressed for it. He was just like, you know, hold the ball pie, pivot, try and find the handoff. If there's a backdoor cut, find it. But this was a team that did not create a lot of defensive responses. They played in transition on 27% of their possessions. Do you know what percentage? They were second in the league last year. They spent in transition last season. I believe if it was around like 18%. If it I'm was 17. That, look at you. Okay. Good. So they every team comes into the preseason or training yeah. camp or whatever, and they say, we're going to play faster. We're going to do X and Y. Yeah. Do you think the Raptors can achieve more transition this season than last? I would be surprised if their percentage is higher. Just based on everything that Darko said, they're going to play a, a far less aggressive defense. So that's going to lead to less deflections, and they're going to get in transition far less. And I think losing Fred is obviously still a significant drop, regardless of his shooting defensively, just because he's able to get in, in passing lanes. He's a great at navigating screens and blowing up a lot of those actions that led to those turnovers. I think that's probably the reasoning why they want Dennis in the starting lineup, because he's really good at applying ball pressure. But um, I, I find it hard for them to increase on a percentage that felt like unsustainable at times in the season. So I'm going to go the other way. Mm. I think that they leaned too far into the aggressive defense. And while, yes, against the Kings, a lot of their transition was based solely on being able to get steals. But when you look back at, like, past Raptors teams, a big part of their transition, and they have had, like, if you think 18.6, that is the high watermark for the franchise, I believe. But in their championship season with a very old team, 18.2%, they which was more than last year, right? Yeah. Um, last year's at 17.6%. We're looking at a team that is going to rebound significantly better, probably will continue to run out after rebounds. Um, the ball is going to find Scotty Barnes more often. He's going to pick up the pace. Like, regardless of you know, you're in the half court. Who do you think is more likely to get you a bucket, Pascal or Scotty? It's it's Pascal, yeah. but a guy grabs a rebound, is sprinting up court now. Who's more likely to create a layup at the rim? It's probably Scotty by a pass or just taking it all the yeah. way there. He's going to create a higher frequency of transition opportunities. And again, if the if the half court offense is a little bit more egalitarian, I think guys will take it upon themselves to, if you get the rebound, you push, because there's a bit of self-determination in that. And so the influx of defensive rebounds, the more Scotty possessions, and the fact that, you know, if you have it and you have a lane, you can assure, like, I'm getting a look on this possession. I actually think the frequency is going to go up. That'd be good for their, for their win total. Like, Scotty is, is special in those situations. I think that's where you weaponize him the most. And that's when the game opened up against, against the Kings. Um, my like The ideal situation is, uh, like, last year, we had some of the worst finishers in transition in, in the league. If we can parlay more transition possessions with actually scoring the ball, I think that you're in a situation where you're looking over on their their win total this year, which I think if I were to pick, they're probably going to go over if I were to guess. 
So let, let's just do that then. Everyone loves predictions. Their their win their over under is what thirty six and a half thirty seven. Yeah. What uh what do you think they end up at? I I think they win 40, 40 games. Okay. Just because they're still such a funky team, they're able to throw these really long lineups at you, and they're gonna get in transition and score a a lot of a lot of buckets. And some teams on some nights are just not gonna want to run with with them on a lot of nights. And that's going to lead to some wins and some surprising situations where they, like last year, they gave Denver a tough time just because of their length. They're tenacious in trying to get steals. And they're one of the few teams that really were able to stop them from getting Jokic the ball. Like situations like that where they are facing more post-oriented teams they're going to have great success with, I think it'll lead to more wins than what people are predicting. I, that's also the Kings, for what it's worth. And they had a yep. lot of success in, in the first preseason game. I don't expect the game against Cairns to be, like, super, super competitive. I guess we'll see. Um, basketball in Australia is growing. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I am really looking forward to how they continue to try and initi- initiate with Pascal and with Scotty. Because this is kind of the idea we've been kicking around nonstop is – these guys have very inherent advantages to create on the floor. Just today, I finished watching all of um, Scotty's post-up possessions and tracking them and everything. So I'll have an article in a few days for people who are listening to this now. Um, a really interesting fact is that I'm counting how often he passes out, how often he gets doubled, all this kind of stuff. And a really interesting aspect is he's really unbelievably good at hitting contested hook shots. And it sounds insane, but he shot 55% on contested hook shots out of post-ups. That's just incredible offense. And that follows up a rookie season, and I didn't track this personally back then, but Sports Info Solutions did, through the start of his career to March of 2022, Scotty shot 57% on his contested hook shots. Basically, this guy has elite touch, If you get him in proximity to the bucket and he can turn over a shoulder. He's also an unbelievable passer playing out above the break. There's a lot of opportunities to run low post offense around Scotty rather than the high post stuff that we're seeing with Jakob. It begs wondering, you know, how do the Raptors shift their offense towards their wings when all of the spoken ideals have been about shifting it towards their bigs? And I know it's tough to delineate those two things, but yeah. do you have any like dream scenarios? Because again, this is what you wanted. You're like, give Scotty the ball. And of yeah. course, once we're here, I'm in the same boat. It's like, we're here. He has to have the ball. You have to figure it out. Let's see how it goes. Um, what are your dream scenarios for what type of initiation he's doing? I I think if you were like to look at a situation, I would see it similarly to like a Bam out of bio in a sense where he's, in a lot of dribble handoff actions, he's able to turn those into him switching onto a small, getting the ball there, weaponizing guys like Gary, guys like Grady coming off of coming off of him, throwing them lobs, putting him in situations where he's around some shooting, which I would like him to be to man a lot of those bench lineups, put him around shooting, allow him to face up against the other team's bigs and allow him to have success like that. With the starting unit, it's tough to see 
a scenario where he can make the leap that we're expecting just because of how how strict the amount of space that he's going to be given in the lineup because there's right now only really one person in the lineup that can shoot that will force a defense not to go under. And I think that would be a mischaracterization of his skill set and then also just asking for way too much from a player that young. Okay, so I'm going to follow this thread since I think I know where you're going with this. When you have one of your best players, the guy who has the keys is a playmaker above a scorer. And Scotty definitely is. The context around them becomes significantly more important. Uh, I'm writing about Scotty's scoring, of course, but I'm also writing about his playmaking. And when you talk about playmakers, what type of lineups are you putting around them? You and I thought it would be fun to kind of consider what does a really unique lineup that wins minutes look like this season? And I asked you to put one together. I put one together. I'll give you mine. Actually, you go first. I don't want to see if we came up with the same thing. Um, The one I came up with was Gary Trent Jr., Pascal Siakam, Jalen McDaniels, um, Chris Boucher, and Jakob Perto. No Scotty. I, no Scotty. I think with that lineup, you you obviously you're pushing on like a more Helio Pascal. You have guys that can hit open shots. You have guys who can dive to the rim really well, and you're giving him the opportunity to run a lot of those small pick and rolls with, with Gary, just like he did with, with Fred and giving him opportunity to, to score the ball. And then you have Jakob in the, in the dunker spot in ways where he is more comfortable. You, he can utilize his, his ability around the rim and he's less of a liability as a spacer. So I think you'd create a really funky lineup. That's going to rebound the ball really well. You can get out in transition and cause a lot of turnovers also. I love that you said funky because those those lineups always remind me of the the funk fest quartet lineups that really helped the Raptors dominate the second half of the 2021-22 season. The the lineups that did a really really great job of rebounding their own misses, rebounding all of the other team's misses, never allowing a team to get all the way to the rim and just Pascal create 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 for the other guys. Um, Gary fit into those quite well as the Funk Fest Quartet is like their four wingy guys. Jakob doesn't really fit that, but Boucher, Pascal, and McDaniels obviously do. My lineup is leaning into the thread we were talking about. Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, Otto Porter Jr., Scotty, and Boucher. You have the best cutter on the team in Boucher. You have a guy who will get out and beat everybody down the floor in Boucher. You have a guy who will help Scotty man the front court positions in Boucher and that's what Boucher is out there for maybe he takes one of those corner threes whatever but he's mostly cutting and filling and he's fantastic at it I think everybody knows the the big thing here is that you have Gary Trent Jr. OG Ananobi and Otto Porter Jr. and I think ideally in this situation you can run Scotty through like those big small pick and rolls surely but I would like to see Scotty with all of this spacing on the floor, because you'll really play five out. Um, I'm running him through a ton of delay action, and I'm actually running a lot of those high post sets with Scotty instead of Jakob. And that's that's the kind of offense I'm like, it could really hit this season and could yep. be really, really interesting. And so the point Scotty stuff, of course, is interesting. We're going to see lots of it this year. But the unique aspects of Scotty is that he succeeds in a multitude of ways, and he has potential in a multitude of ways. 
great playmakers often do, especially when they can score in isolation like he does. I would love to see that lineup. I suspect we do. And I think that's a lineup that wins minutes. I think the the proxy is that there is a lineup like Gary Trent, OG, Thad instead of Otto, Scotty yeah. Boucher, and that lineup won minutes by a lot last year. Small sample size, but as far as play style, that's kind of where I'm going with it. The second lineup I thought of because I wanted to anchor one around Scotty and I wanted to anchor one around Pascal. Similar thing, Pascal, Boucher, Precious are kind of giving you that like, yeah. you know, tough front court stuff. We're not, I'm not talking about Jakob because I think Jakob's mostly going to win his minutes. It's not yeah. super interesting. And then we have Schroeder and Grady. And I mm. think that there's a lot of different ways that you can manipulate, especially if you stack, and this is how I'm viewing it, stack Pascal, Grady, and Schroeder on the same side of the floor. And with Grady being so good at like the give and go stuff, if you can tilt the floor in his way, he can work that, that give and go stuff with either Pascal or Schroeder. And both Pascal and Schroeder are athletic enough to exploit two-on-one situations. And then having Boucher and Precious at the back end, they're tremendous cutters if you do collapse the defense. Maybe you get a smidge of shooting. Who knows, really? It, it depends on the team deciding what they're guarding. But mostly you're thinking about having Boucher and Precious defensively and also to put pressure on the offensive glass and to get out and run. We're preaching a lot of the same ideas here. Yep. But this is what the Raptors are supposed to be able to do. This is, you know, the bones of the Vision 6-9 is still here, obviously. Um, like-sized guys doing unique things, you know, running like hell, rebounding like hell, defending like hell, and filling in the offense where you can. Uh, if Scotty makes that leap, filling in the offense can be a lot easier. And if Pascal can maintain and fit whatever ideas they have for him, then he'll fill in offense where he can as well. I think this team has a lot of unique potential lineups, and a lot of them could include Coloco. A lot of them could include Jakob, but that's kind of the cool thing about having a deep team for what it looks like for the first mm -hmm. time is that the machinations run quite deep. Yeah. I think what's really interesting about the team is like the inverse in the, the starters and the bench. We haven't had a bench lineup like this in, in years, especially yeah. the amount of shooting that they have. You can go into a situation where five minutes into a game, you realize the starters don't have it today. They're, the spacing that isn't really working. And then you slot one of those guys for Otto Porter. You're you're throwing in a Gary Trent Jr. Maybe Grady towards the end of the season is starting to rise and you allow him to play with the starters five minutes into the game. You then like create certain situations where you you have a lot more spacing. It gives Scotty the opportunity to play in a way that you would want him to. And even empower Pascal in a sense to because he's been operating in little to no space the last two years. In, in similar situations where he's seeing a lot more one-on-one -on -one opportunities and able to score. It's kind of like the Knicks in the sense where their starting lineup, mm -hmm. very, very tough. They had three non-shooters, essentially. Although, like, Julius Randles, are, some would say could shoot. But... He just comes out every second year and shoots, like, 38% from three yeah. on the most, and he'll pull up. Yeah. And he'll go nuts. It's just a um, weird shot diet for that and... guy. Insane, but similar situation where they have three guys you're going under against, but you threw guys from their bench lineups, and they had one of the best benches in the league with shooting that helped them win a lot of games and a lot of minutes. And I think 
if the best scenario for the Raptors is something ideally like that. It's kind of funny because you mentioned the Raptors being kind of similar stylistically to the Knicks. I guess that's why they stole all that info from them. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) One thing I want to talk about quickly, because we talked about, hmm, seems like teams will go under. The Raptors starting lineup, no matter which way you slice it, they're going to have to win with with their bench during this regular season. Their bench is going to have to shoot the the ball really well. Um, Rookies are unknown. Otto Porter is unknown with his health. That's the difficult part. They're two best bench shooters. You can't really just like plug them in. Yes. But yeah. if they do hit both of them, you get 60 games from both 60 plus, And they both go north of like 37, 38%. Those bench lineups, you might be able to cook something up with a decent amount of spacing quite often. But as far as like running high post, playing teams that will go under stuff, the Raptors play the Timberwolves, the Bulls, and the 76ers, their first three games. Then they play the Trailblazers, and I suspect that high post stuff will do really well against the Trailblazers, yeah. who will be, I guess we'll see. But we're looking at a team, the Timberwolves, it's Gobert, Towns. I don't know if McDaniels, Jaden, will be back by then. But um, like an ant who is beefing up his defensive resume as, as time goes on. Um, and I guess Mike Conley as well. Like they're they're a very good defensive team and they're yep. massive. And they're also gonna go under everything. You'll you can play around the perimeter. The Bulls, they are going to do the same thing. And these are teams and, and the 76ers the exact same thing. Like yep. these are teams that are just gonna say, like, we'll be here. You can mess around above the break. We'll see what you create, we'll see what you do. And it's gonna be up to the Raptors to like really start to leverage spacing and advantages coming out of the corner, probably. Yeah. I guess we'll see. But I I really wonder how those first three games go and how the Raptors decide to attack because the advantages when they play the Bulls become very obvious. And they were very obvious in the play-in game, and they're very obvious every time they play the Bulls. They have small guards who yeah. will guard as good as Caruso is. He has nothing for... Siakam, he has nothing for Scotty. Do you do you empty out the side and isolate? I wonder. We saw it happen in the preseason game with the starting lineup. The Timberwolves, the same thing. McDaniel's is lengthy, but yep. he he's just not physical enough for either Siakam or Scotty. He'll bother them on the contest, but they will get to spots on the floor. Yep. Same thing with the 76ers. Who on the wing is going to stop these guys? Do you get these guys in space or do you run through actions where Joel Embiid, Rudy Gobert, and Nikola Vucevic, who range from defensive player of the year candidates to just a, a quality big defender, yep. sitting and just playing like crossing guard in like, hey, we'll see, bring it down here. That interests me a lot. What like That's a ringer to run high post offense with not so much shooting to begin the season. It's, it's tough. I, I think... With the move like of bringing Darko in, you kind of have to see it through. You have to give it at least 10 to 15 games of trying to run this type of offense because if the person that you're bringing the franchise, like the keys to the franchise to is saying that they hated the style of play that they played last year and felt it felt that it was draining, I think you should they should give it a chance and see who is going to pop in this type of offense because it looked like guys like Gary were very empowered. In, in the preseason game, 
OG, even in a sense, we saw a lot of stuff that are a bit more unbalanced than, than usual. I think what we you might see is that um, some of those some of those guys that are getting to a bit more action above the break pop in a sense more than we're expecting, and lead to to more production. Whereas like maybe Scotty and Pascal don't necessarily get to the spots that they're getting that they need to based on what we've seen in the first preseason game and and don't produce as well but the the accumulation of the team is is better due to more motion and passing the ball well that's i remember a game i think it was december 28th of 2021 when they played the 76ers and gary got a lot of the ball um i believe fred was injured for that game it was during that when the Raptors turned their season around, basically like that, they didn't win against the 76ers that game, but they made that really good run through the back end of December, start of January. Yeah. And it was right after Chris Boucher said it was like the lowest point in my career when they lost to Cleveland by what, like 40 points or whatever. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, Gary Trent Jr. became a focal point, started running more pick and roll. They went to a lot of dribble handoff sets. Typically with, typically with Siakam, but you could run it with like a multitude of guys, right? And the Raptors, they just dug their heels in defensively and said, we're going to grind for offense the only way we know how, which is at that point in time, like you're trying to get as much as you can out of Pascal, but you start leaning harder on Gary. We also saw OG go for 24, 26 points in the pressure cooker of a playoff game, working as the 76ers loaded up on pascal and and scotty to some degree uh og found a way to score on like empty side stuff get into space make line drives to the hoop i do wonder how it goes and for the record after it's the trailblazers it's the bucks and then it's the 76ers again the raptors have to play this way i mean this is what they've been talking about this is what they've been working on this is what you're supposed to do but it is kind of funny that they're running through huge teams yeah, that are like hey you got to shoot if you want to beat us um like push will come to shove as far as the early efficacy but i'm really interested to see how they churn for points because a lot of the initial actions probably won't work a big thing about that too is that they turn to the secondary action or the third action the tertiary they had 30 assists i made this point in my write-up their first preseason game last year where they walloped the Jazz by 32 points. They had 18. Do you get a sense that this team is already better at passing the ball? Or or is this preseason, who knows, hullabaloo? It, you like it, that word, hullabaloo? That's pretty good. <laughs> it's tough because they got in transition so much. And being in transition just lends, lends to assists. I would like to see a game where it's more bogged down. They have to go through their second and third actions and see if they actually have the patience to weave through those actions and actually create um, create buckets from it. The Kings game, like like we've already said, they're a team that just fits well with us stylistically. We're able to turn them over a lot from, from what we've seen last year as well. It, I, I think it's more of a microcosm of being preseason and the team that we played than necessarily the the style of play. Because when you see the teams who are top in the league in assisted buckets, it's teams like Golden State, it's teams like Denver, 
guys who have a, a central hub who can shoot the ball, pass, and has spacing around them as well and create advantages. And those are things that the Raptors don't have currently. So I find it really hard for them to, to have those type of assist numbers in the regular season. It's also really interesting that the Raptors are a team who it seems like they have their foot in two camps, you know? Yeah. They have, like, for example, you talked about the fact that the Raptors, it's easy to get assists in transition. You finish in transition. It's easy when Scotty Barnes is running the break and a bunch of wings are following him and it's preseason and you can just spray the ball to the basket. Like Chris Boucher runs. Thaddeus Young is beating guys up the court, right? But then it's like, okay, you need shooting to help open up the paint in transition. So you have a guy like Gary making reads where he's like, okay, do I go to the corner or do I try and make this layup? And Gary is famously not good at making transition layups, but he is good at hitting threes. And the Raptors are a team who they have so much defense to rely on. They have so much size, but then they go to a lot of unknowns in their bench. People think their bench should be good. I think it will be too. They have a unique opportunity to have a good bench for the first time, as you said, in a long time, but there are unknowns and they don't, they play very, they project to play differently as they shift. And that's a cool thing. It's a unique thing. And it's something I'm looking forward to, to to see if it'll pay off. I There's a lot we don't know yet, though. But I, I'm like you. I think that they do beat the over-under. I'm not like that low on the team. Yeah. Um, I, I keep seeing people. I brought it up on the other podcast that the, the spread for predictions I've seen, I've seen multiple people now say 50-plus wins. I've seen multiple people go north of 34, right? Like there are some people who just think it's not going to go well. There's more people who think it goes really well. And I think there's a lot of people in that 40 to 46 range. Yeah. I just, it's a very interesting team They're I don't think they're boom or bust because they've kind of made their bed. The, the games just have to go good or bad at this point. But man, I, I do wonder how the first, because they get put through the ringer immediately. They got to run the gamut, man. I'm excited for it. It's tough. One question I have for you. The Raptors obviously played tons of isolation last year. They were bottom five in assisted buckets. Only one of those teams in the top five had success. That was the Knicks, the team where we, we might be cheating from, might be emulating. <laughs> um, around 39% is probably is around middle tier, 15, 16 in the NBA. Is it realistic for the Raptors to go down from 42% in assisted buckets to around that mid 30 to high 30 range? Yeah. Yeah. I, I do th- I do think it is. I think cuz they're going to force it too. Yeah. Like yes, they are going to kowtow to the isolation prowess they have on the roster. They have to at some point. And also Pascal Siakam sometimes given the defensive response, you're going to have to give him the ball so he can beat a mismatch, create a double, and create easy looks. Like, that just has to happen sometimes. And that's not just because it's a double and it creates an assisted look or whatever. Doesn't mean it's not isolation. So they have to find the right mix, and they have to, you know, I diagrammed this play in the piece I wrote. I talked about it on the last podcast episode, but running that gut Chicago action to get Pascal curling and if it's, you know, a not very, I don't know, 
a big man without a ton of defensive acumen, you're going to have lanes to the rim. You're going to have opportunities to make those strong side passes that Zion Williamson makes. And wow, he's like an underrated passer. Yeah. <laughs> um, th- there's going to be a ton of opportunities for this team to try things. And I think they have the goodwill of the fan base for this season. And especially since they have a young star who's kind of spearheading it to try things out, success or fail. That's like they have to have you you've made your bed is what i mean to say right like again yeah you you have to be able to try this stuff out you can't you can't preach change and then abandon it if it's tough Agreed. if you believe if you believe in the core tenets you got to believe in them you got to see them through you got to get better at them over time um it might not be great at first but i at least trust it maybe not to get good but to get better and that's what you want to do you just want to put the people who are going to be on this team long term in better and better positions and use what's happening, the feedback you're getting, the data you're getting, the film you're getting to inform the decisions you make going forward. And hopefully those are good ones, you know? I, I agree. I think by virtue of just having improved shooting from the the team cumulatively with the, with the bench, that percentage is obviously going to go down. Despite like the spacing they had, Pascal was still able to create some advantages within the, within the offense last year. And, a lot of those those three point opportunities just weren't falling, just by virtue of the the roster that they had. That changes from having maybe two game, two or three games from Otto Porter to hopefully sixty. And great, you have Grady, you have Gary that's coming off the bench. So I think by virtue of even if their isolation percentage is higher than we may expect, because although I want them to stick to the style that they want to there is going to be a tug and pull between your core philosophy and winning games at the end of the day. And if they decide that going back to Pascal, isolating more is going to win more games, I could see it shifting. But overall, Pascal is a great passer. We obviously know Sky is a fantastic one. And they should be able to plug and match certain lineups where they have way more play finishers than they did last year, which should lead to more assists. The thing that I'm interested in mostly, um, as far as paying attention, you know, somebody commented today, they said, you may as well be a Pascal and Scotty biographer at this point. I've covered their games like possession by possession so intimately. I'm so familiar with their tendencies, how they attack certain plays, the stats that come out of them that I like. I feel like I already know so much about how, especially doing so much with Scotty lately expectations for how that's going to go pascal and scotty makes quick decisions as a passer sometimes him having the ball in his hands longer can lead to better reads but a lot of the times like the less time it spends in scotty's hands the better pascal is a guy who it's not his passing vision it's the live dribble and where he can get to that creates the passing avenues and that's where you wonder like okay he, he's one of the few front court players who can just amass advantages and assists with the live dribble facing the basket. You know, he can get the double from the bottom. He can get the double from the top. He can get it from the middle. He can draw it wherever he wants and he can find the open man, but he has to have a live dribble for it. That's where I'm like, if this is the 0.5 offense, if they're making a ton of decisions, there's no doubt Pascal can fit in. That's easy. Yeah. That's what Pascal came up doing. 
but are you getting the most out of Pascal if you're not allowing him to dribble into advantage situations? That's where I'm like, I wonder how much they put on column A and how much they put on column B. It's the most interesting aspect of the team this season to me because Scotty's going to be good. It's going to be fine. People are going to be really happy about it. The Raptors are going to be better than a lot of people think, not as good as some people think. But Pascal is the guy who there's money on the line this season. There's where a huge part of what happens this season determines where he is next season. Yeah. And that it's a big deal to be an all NBA player when you're the future of where you're playing is hanging in the balance. And not because like, oh, is he going to make it? But just there's a lot of intersecting ideas of what should be happening from a few different camps that will help determine where he plays for his next contract and how they get him, how they make it easy for him to fit and how they make it like, you know, this part of the offense is yours. You got to do what you do best. We didn't see any of that really. Like we saw two possessions of it in the preseason game, but it's interesting, man. I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's a tough situation. I don't remember a time where, the coach has told the best player on the team that he needs to fit within his offense. It's usually well, inverse. Did we? Yeah. Um, but that's, that's not Pascal's style, A. Yeah. But also, B, it's reportedly not Darko saying this, right? That is also true. This, this is like, this comes from on high. This yeah. is, Masai says, hey, you know, this is my boy Darko right here. You're going to play his way, you know, like it's not actually like that, but yeah, it's nice to have reports confirmed. That's our job basically as media is to report things. And then if you can get them confirmed on camera, um, Grange reported that, Hey, they're saying Pascal's got to prove it. And so I say, Hey, does Pascal have to prove it? What's going on with that? Masai says, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I guess he's got to prove it. I don't know if Darko, I don't think that's Darko's style for what it's worth. But if the, out, the outcome is the outcome. Yeah. I think it's better that Masai says it than it is that Darko says it for what it's worth. Like one guy has a lot more cachet in the league and probably with Pascal than the other guy. But Darko's the one who's designing the offense well, with, with the help of Jama and the guy who's, you know, the head honcho on the bench. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah, it's like it's. I feel like it's a tug and tug and pull. Like every coach is going to want to win games, and it's the same with like Le- LeBron James. Every year at media day, says X player is getting the ball more and more. He is better than me. And then as you see slowly into the season, his usage rises. And I think the same thing will be with Pascal. Like Darko said, the ball fall goes to the best players. He the best. He's the best player on the team. And there's going to be times where they simply cannot get anything out of these actions. And they're going, and you saw in a couple possessions where end of possession, Pascal hears the ball, make magic with it. And he's the best player equipped to do so. And I think people would naturally gravitate to giving him the ball more because he puts people in great positions and him scoring the ball takes the ease off of the rest of the team. I, and to be fair, every star player every star player could stand to cut a little more to make quicker decisions 
and to play a little bit more within the flow. That ranges from a guy like AD, who's basically like, I'm all flow. Yeah. All the way, and you know, to Luca, for example, right? Who's like, Luca is like, I am the flow. I am the dam. I am the all-encompassing existence of this offense. You you answer to my whims and and quiver before my my power. You know that kind of stuff. I'm Pascal closer to AD, but he is also a player with strengths and weaknesses that we're going to see show up as they change. Hopefully, a lot more strengths. At least that's where I'm sitting. Um, you had a stat line prediction for him back in the summer. I want to get a stat line prediction from you now for both Pascal and Scotty. I'm going to be greedy. Ooh, um, Scotty, I, I think I've got, I think I roughly said 17, eight and five, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to, I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick towards that. I think he's going to have great success with the bench, but struggle a bit with the starters. And unless something changes that offers him more space with the starters, I don't see the scoring leap that that may happen. If he gets to five or five or six assists, I think it would be a massive accomplishment for where he's at at a, at a player that isn't necessarily a primary creator. Being able to generate that much offense would would be a massive accomplishment for Pascal. I believe I said he's going to have a career year because you. I just assumed that Masai would say, "Hey, here's the ball." <laughs> we, we don't have Fred. I'm going to bring that bring that down. I think you get you see numbers closer to Did like you say 28. I think I said like 25 or 20, 26 or 27 at least. I think you said 28, bro. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to say I, you're you're probably looking closer to 22. Of like a a very efficient like 22 7 and 4 where he's in the flow of the offense. He probably is our our best scorer in the in the fourth quarter where they where the games get tight, they're probably going to lean on him more. But I think his efficiency will will rise because he's going to be asked to isolate a lot a lot less than he did last year. I'm uh, I'm similar on both accounts. Yeah. I can't remember what I said. I think I said like twenty three seven five. Yeah, you were less bullish. Yeah. Let let me go twenty two seven and five. I still think there's like a lot of assists on the table. And yeah, for all you little you little true shooting sickos, I see you guys hunting down Pascal's stat page like, eh, 56%, it's not so great. I think he goes north of 58% true shooting this season on 20, 22, 7, 4, 23, 7, 4. And then Scotty, or sorry, uh, five assists, not four assists. Yeah. Scotty. I think we're looking at above five and a half assists. Like that's that's my big thing. Yeah. I watched like I watched all his passes last year, right? To write that big piece. He's just too good at it. He just creates like something out of nothing as a passer so often. If he gets the ball in transition more often, like he always finds the pass. I also watched like so many of his passes, so many of his plays. A lot of guys like pay a little more attention when the ball hits you in the hands. You know, like he's diming guys up. It'll squeak through because they're like, what the hell? You threw me a pass like shot ready. Let's go. Come on. Help the guy out. Five and a half assists. And then, yeah, I think like 17.5 points. Um, God, maybe like, yeah, seven boards. I feel fine about seven boards. Um, it, it wouldn't. Yeah. And then I don't know the peripheral stats. I, I couldn't say anything. And someone asked me today, ND talks ball um, on Twitter. I'm sure you're familiar with the account. Um, big shout out ND. Um, 
he asked me what would be a win for Scotty's pick and roll possessions, for example. And I said, if he's above the 50th percentile in points per possession or points per chance, depending on if you use whichever um, data collector you use, uh, I think that would be very, very impressive. He, he, they score immense amounts of points, like really efficient when he's the passer in the pick and roll. It was really bad when he was the scorer. Yeah. And, uh, and then it's kind of whatever when he's, you know, just resetting the offense, right? So when he has an opportunity to pass that thing, he makes good on it. And so do his teammates um, a decent amount of the time. I think both those things can go up a bit, even if the path to usage in the half court doesn't seem super apparent right away. A little bit of a ramble on that one. What do you think are like the pairings then that lead to this assist jump? Because like with the starters, it's tough, tough to see. And obviously, like with your piece, he struggled like mightily with Jakob in, in pick and roll situation. Is it guys like Coloco? Maybe Precious evolves as a as a rim runner. What what pairings do you think will be the ones that like really ignite him as a passer? Well, I still think he can dime Jakob up a lot. Yeah. Like there's there's a ton of situations you can think back to. I've made this reference must be like eighteen times on the podcast. Everybody who listens is annoyed of this, but the Kyle Lowry pass, right? Where the ball swings around, the defense is catching up, and as the defense catches up on the strong side, uh, there's a duck in on the strong side a lot of the times for a big man. Everyone can probably picture in their mind like that that Kyle fakes a pass above the break and then gives a bounce pass to Serge who had ducked in for like this little tiny baby hook. You've seen it. It went to Siakam as well. It's just it went to Amir. Like it's just a really clever pass. And as teams move and shake, Jakob is this massive presence in the middle waiting there. And a guy who's really efficient on like these little push shots and like baby hooks and can get right all the way to the rim for dunks and layups. And Scotty will find him in the midst of all that madness for, for buckets. And Scotty, you know, I talk, I published that quote from the, the team scout of which I've collected quite a few about a few players in the Raptors. So people can look forward to that. But a guy was like, he doesn't miss the baseline cuts. He'll make that pass. Um, the Raptors should have a lot more cutters this season. Ideally, if Scotty's the trigger man in any actions, he has my utmost confidence to be the guy who is like ping, 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 making those things. So, um, And then trusting in transition. That's a lot of this Raptors team, trusting in transition for what it's worth. But they've shown they can guarantee some sort of frequency. Yeah. Like they, they've just guaranteed the frequency. And they did a pretty good job of guaranteeing frequency and holding up an elite defense towards the back end of last year. I don't think Fred is an important part of that elite defense. I think that's something that carries over. I do think Fred was important to their half court offense, but you know, you stay, you get more stops, you run out more, you stay out of the half court and Dennis does a decent job. Um, You know, you can fill it in. You can, you can make sense of it for sure. Yeah. That's where I'm at. That, that makes sense. Like, if Coloco also is really good or is serviceable as a backup, you you, you highlighted it already. He was Him and Scotty were great together as a, a pick-and-roll pairing. And he offers, like, a different sense of athleticism and, and rim running where that Boucher kind of offers, but not with that same size and length. Yeah. It would be uh, immense for my personal vision for a Scotty plus bench if he's able to man those minutes run the run the floor and then Scotty be surrounded by shooting 
I think that's probably the best pathway. If you if your idea is like, how do I get Scotty to be a twenty five and five guy? It's with that uh, super athletic rim runner with shooting around him. And I think the Raptors have a chance of at least showing us what that would look like. So I'm interested to I'm interested to see that and just see if they can replicate the amount of turnovers because they're the number one team in basketball in turning their opponent over. And they can maintain that with a less aggressive style. I think if you gave not on defense, but if you gave you said Draymond, you no longer have a job on offense. That's Scotty Barnes. I think Scotty could give you like twenty six and five this season with the Warriors. Just operating in an insane amount of space with yep. his athleticism. This is part of the reason I like Kaminga so much. I know we differ on that, but just I think Scotty could go like twenty points, six, seven boards, and five assists on the Warriors if he took Draymond's role. How many possessions do we see Draymond look <laughs> at the rim and go like, Oh, I can't take it. I couldn't possibly. Scotty's like, give me that. I, I would just love to see him work in that kind of kind of space. But you know how many times a team has put together a team with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry once. So can the Raptors emulate that going forward? Probably not. You have to build differently. Uh, there's only ever been one Steph Curry and there's only ever been one Clay Thompson. As stupid as that is that those guys played together with Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. What the hell, Trey? Any parting shots before we get out of here? <laughs> um, just super excited to be back. It, I'm super excited for the season. Al- although like things were murky from like the from media day, I am still hopeful. I'm super excited with the way that they were playing in in the preseason game, and ideally, we'll get some clarity. I've been agonizing about this for years, and Masai has to give me some clarity, so I'm excited. I just. At the end of the day, too, it's basketball, right? I'm never going to be too upset about watching basketball. And like, hey, I have certain beliefs. I want them to be correct. But I'm very, very happy to update my analysis and eat some crow if it means that the basketball is better. If the Raptors have figured out like new ways to dodge and skirt a lack of spacing, not only is that a huge deal for the team, but like it's a unique accomplishment in NBA basketball. It's it's cool to play unique styles if you find a way to it. And if you play a unique style and it's bad, nobody says this is unique. They say it's terrible. You know, it, it took what like four games for the Orlando Magic to go from, you know, like this is a really interesting long team to everybody being like, no, Awful. like for, forget about it. And, you know, Paolo hasn't made a three in a fortnight, etc. Like. I, and I'm I'm excited for that team, but it has to be unique and good. And if the Raptors accomplish that, they will be in a similar position uh, to 2021-22, where they're they're punching up at these teams, and it looks really really interesting. That's where that's where I'm at. My parting shots. Uh, I'm excited for the programming notes of this year. Away games. I'll be doing live podcasts. Trey can jump on any of those with me that he wants. We will be attempting a call-in show twice a month for anybody who has ever been like, I want to call in and tell Samson he's an idiot. And like, <laughs> those are the calls I'm looking forward to, by the way. I want some real like shock jock radio going on over here, all that kind of stuff. But uh, that that's about it, that the Reaction Podcast is going live for away games. I can't do it for home games, obviously. I'll be at the arena. Um and then the call-in show. 
pull up Trey. I know there was a little while, a few months where it was every week. Um, Trey's a working man. I'm a working man. We're going two times a month. Unless you guys really slam that like button. <laughs> um, the only the only thing that could get this podcast uh, as a weekly podcast instead of a bi-weekly podcast. Big sponsor, a whole bunch of viewers. If you guys want to change that, feel free. How, how's that sound? Is that a deal we can make with the viewers, Trey? All right, all right. Smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in with us. Uh, We'll see you in a couple weeks or one week. We'll see how you do. Anyway, uh, yeah, whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.